When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is Jed Olson. He is co-founder at High Ticket Labs. We're going to talk about the work they do helping companies scale. We're going to talk about the various elements of scaling, what you really need to focus on. I always love speaking with other coaches, consultants, folks that work with companies that are in that kind of growth scaling process. Kind of hear their take, their perspectives. There's always something new I learn and hopefully something new for the audience here. Uh, I think we're going to re- talk about some really interesting things. Jed and, and his wife have uh, run a really interesting program uh, and have worked with a lot of businesses. So I'm excited to see what they've learned and, and how they've kind of focused their um, their process and, and how they really kind of help businesses scale. With that, Jed, welcome to the program. Thanks so much, Bruce. I appreciate you having me here. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So before we dive into the work you're doing today, let's get a little bit of background. How did you get into the space? What's the history? What's the backstory? Tell us. Yeah, no, thanks, Bruce. You know, honestly, it's a bit of a, a weird scenario for me. My dad was a entrepreneur in uh, somewhat of a service-based industry in construction, and I saw mm-hmm. all the ups and downs that he had in business and for a lot of the the successes and the mistakes. And then I kind of did my own thing, getting into the nonprofit world for about 12 years, uh, was involved heavily in training around fundraising and a bunch of other development initiatives and things like that. And as I, you know, started to kind of grow in that area of the nonprofit industry, I started to get interested in entrepreneurship and start to get exposed to uh, different industries that also still need training in the nonprofit space. It's a lot about uh, funds and people. And as I looked at the entrepreneurial and especially the service-based industry, that is a common issue as well. It's it's usually a, an issue about scaling with their capital or scaling with their people. And I saw a lot of those correlations there. And so I got involved with a a company called Adventure Reach. I was their 
technically their first employee. If uh, my old director of operations is listening to this podcast, she'll probably jab at me for this because she was a contractor <laughs> beforehand. So I always have to, to, to poke her at that a little bit. Um, I love it. So I was, uh, I was in a very high growth phase with that company when I first came on board. Uh, it was a $2 million company. And when I left last year, it was a $25 million per year company. So I've seen that, uh, that growth phase and you know, was able to also, because it was, a, it was a B2B type of business, I was able to work with a lot of clients who also were in various stage of growth, whether it was in the six-figure stage, the early seven-figure stage, and also a few of our high growth clients that were in multiple eight figures at that point. And, you know, now we've, my wife and I, we recently decided to start our own consulting firm where we're helping mostly service-based businesses in that sector, see how they can can grow and scale. And I, I found there's a lot of commonalities with, you know, the thing that I found with a lot of businesses is that there's typically a plateau at certain phases of your business. Usually mm-hmm. there's your first plateau in your multiple six figures, somewhere around like 250 to 500,000. There's another plateau you hit around one to three or three to 5 million. And then your next plateau is in the 10 to 25 million and it keeps going up. You always have that scaling phase. And then there's like a plateau for it where it, where that growth stagnates. And if you don't know what a lot of times the, the saying that what got you here won't get you there. A lot of that that cliche actually holds truth uh, in a lot of ways. And so we've been helping a lot of these businesses that are at that plateau point figure out how they can get past those plateaus. I'm curious what you what you find as kind of the underlying dynamics of those plateaus. Is this you know around people? Is it around strategy? Are they processes? I mean, what what are the things that kind of end up creating the plateau or those ceilings for for these companies? Yeah, Bruce. Well, everything that you said is true, <laughs> and I think <laughs> that any expert that's going to tell you that it's just one thing is just trying to to get you to drink their own Kool Aid. That's the the thing that I try to to bring to our clients and anybody that you know consumes our content is to show that this is a holistic process. When when you get to a plateau, you know some of the commonalities that I've seen, particularly you know there's there's one of our clients actually I'll, I'll give you the story with a hair salon and she's at the around the half a million mark. And for her, her next growth phase is to get ready to be a multi-site, potentially franchise type of model. But in order to get ready for that, uh, what we've noticed is there was two big things that we're helping her work on, which is number one, when we first started working with her, she had a very wide swath of services that she provided. Even though she had very much niched down to just hair extensions, she wasn't cutting hair. She wasn't doing other salon services and things like that. But she had a membership-based approach, but she had about 20 different membership options. So, (laughs) and I I saw, Bruce, one of your articles was around simplifying in order to scale. And that's exactly what we helped her do to just focus on one subscription service. And on the other side, one of the other issues we found was that, and I think this is very true with a lot of service-based companies that are very good at providing quality service they almost get used to and start resting on their laurels with having word of mouth and organic reach 
a relatively good SEO and they're just okay with that kind of marketing. And if you yeah. want to really grow and scale past into the next stage, you really have to have multimodal marketing efforts and start really focusing on revenue generating activities and not just think that business is going to naturally increase because you're doing a good job with your services. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's, there's a couple of questions in there. <laughs> I mean, what, what do you think it really gets in the way of some of these folks? I mean, you, when you actually start to dig in with some of these companies, like, what is the thing that's holding them up? Is it is it the kind of how they're approaching it? Is it their assumptions they're making? I mean, what, what is the work that you end up doing with these folks to really get them to change their approach and, and change the strategies they're executing on? Yeah, so I think it, there's there's two primary elements that I think I see a lot of the time. One is that they don't necessarily know how they got successful. And I feel this <laughs> yeah. is that there, there's a, you know, I can't tell you how many entrepreneurs and CEOs that I've talked to and I ask them like what their early stages of growth were like when they first started, whether it was, you know, they were taking over for somebody else or whether they were growing their own thing from the ground up. In both cases, they almost look at it through rose colored glasses or they just think about like when they got their first win, they don't think about all of the, the struggles that they had. And so what I walk them through is this process of showing, okay, well, let's put a system, let, let's take your success and let's document that. Let's put a framework around that success. Because if you can put a framework around something, that's going to help you grow a lot better when it comes to knowing what systems need to be in place. For instance, you know, I, I see a lot of people try to put in SOPs without having an overarching framework. And I know like Bruce, with what you're you, you work a lot in Agile, right? And a mm -hmm. lot of lean systems. The reason yeah. why that's so successful is because it's a pre-existing framework for how to grow systems. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that if you pair an external system like Agile or something like that, and you also have your own proprietary framework, if you can identify that and systematize that and put a framework around it, that's really going to help you get to the next level of success. I remember this was outside of the service industry. It was an e-commerce business and they were wanting to get into a new sector. And the thing that we mainly did to help them scale was just that they didn't realize what made them successful. They didn't know what their main strengths were. So we walked through it and we noticed that the main thing they were good at in e-commerce was marketing. And so we helped them put a framework around how they were doing marketing well. What were the three big buckets that they were doing really good in marketing that they could then double down on to scale to the next level? So sometimes it's really about reflecting back on what you've done well and putting a framework, putting a system around that. So then you don't have to be the one necessarily that's always being the one to do that. You know, you you can now that you've put a framework around it, you can train your team members. You can get other people to to grow that way in the way that you already did it. It's kind of a delegation process. And a lot of people, when they're getting past those plateaus, that art of delegation can be hard to really master. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious when you first work with a prospect or when someone contacts you, you know, interested in scaling their business. What are you looking for in that person? Are there any kind of telltales for you that says this is this is going to work? They're you know they're ready. They're they've got the right mindset. They they're asking the right questions. And is there anything that you are kind of red flags for you of, of folks that you know it might not be possible or or extremely difficult because of kind of how they're thinking or how they're approaching things? Yeah, 
I think the main thing that I look for is are do they have a growth mindset? And when you know, I know that's a bit of a trendy word sometimes. The way that I define a growth mindset is they are not satisfied with where they're at and they will seek advice even if that advice is contrary to what they think needs to happen. So there's a level of humility there. There's a mm-hmm. level of not wanting to just continue with the same old, same old stuff. You know, one red flag that comes up for me is if it's a struggle to convince them to do something that they haven't done before, you know, that could be <laughs> a, a common thing is in marketing. That's probably the where I get the most amount of pushback is if I'm like telling them to do a grassroots approach where they need to uh, look at high level business development partnerships or they need to, you know, do what we're doing right here, getting some some PR opportunities and things like that. And they're resistant to that because they're not used to that. They're just used to organic SEO and business just coming through the door. That's a red flag to me because they need to be uncomfortable in order to grow. And I think that's the case with all of us. But some of us, if we've had a certain level of success, we start to get used to that comfort and we don't really want to go back to the discomfort that was at the beginning of that growth phase for us. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about service businesses. I mean, you, you mentioned you've worked with several different types of businesses, but primarily service. What is unique about service businesses from your point of view, and particularly when it comes to kind of scaling or growing them? The main thing is personnel for me, because in order to scale pretty much any service, you have to provide a service, right? And I mean, there's a few exceptions to that. I mean, SaaS definitely comes to mind. And the digital services, they're a lot more scalable than your average mom and pop chiropractor or hair salon or even a marketing agency. A lot of these other service-based businesses that make up a very wide amount of at least the U.S. business force, they don't have the luxury of just getting more inventory. Their inventory is their hands. It is their expertise. It is their brains. So that is probably the, the biggest obstacle. And the way to overcome that obstacle from what I've seen is around having frameworks, around having systems, around developing intellectual property that you can then either license, you can franchise, you can certify. There's a bunch of different ways that you can utilize a framework in order to essentially delegate your services out, delegate your fulfillment. Mm -hmm. We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And now back to our program. And what are some of the challenges that I guess you've helped clients overcome? Do you have any kind of examples of companies that you've worked with, how you apply these things? Yeah, for sure. So one that comes to mind is uh, a marketing agency that we've been working with. And one of their growth phases that they're in is to go into a different different market. So they're getting out of just focusing on marketing and they're getting into leadership development, for instance. So what we've essentially helped them with on that side, outside of there's the marketing side, of course, but first thing that we always focus on with any client is what is your intellectual property? And a lot of these businesses don't think about it that way, especially in the service-based industry, because they, they just 
view is what they do is that's just what they do. It's it's just something that comes natural to them. And so yeah. we help them, you know, that they had a book out luckily. So they at least had some idea of like how to put something into a framework. And we helped them evolve that into a variety of different services developing. We've been helping them develop a workshop series for them to provide different leadership services, whether that was to smaller companies, to, you know, corporations of 250 or more, so they can provide consulting. And we help them see how they can essentially apply one framework that was in their book and grow that into a whole suite of services, whether it was, you know, an online course, whether that was a series of workshops or that whether that's a certification program is something that we're exploring. So we're looking at how you can essentially package a framework and then expand that into an entire suite of services, depending on what it is. And in this instance, it's going from an agency model, which is very hard to scale because, you know, you have to have a bunch of copywriters, ad buyers, mm-hmm. you know, graphic designers, all of these different things to to service each client. And instead, we're helping them grow into more of like a a consulting coaching arm to kind of be like the next EOS, if you've heard of that company. So we're helping them kind of be a competitor in that space. Yeah. Yeah. And tell me a little bit about how you actually work with clients. I mean, when you engage with folks, are is this one-on-one coaching? Are you putting them through programs? Are you doing group work? I mean, how, how do you actually deliver these services and, and how has that worked for you? Yeah. So for us right now, we're definitely taking our own medicine, I guess you could say. <laughs> exactly. I always start yeah. with, <laughs> so we provide a lot of those different services that you mentioned. The main one that we're doing at the moment, just as where we're at in our current growth phase, is very high tickets consulting. So we sit down with folks typically for a full day strategy day and outline these three critical areas around their intellectual property, around the different growth systems that they have, and what marketing they're doing and help put a plan together to get past those plateaus. And then we essentially meet with them every single week and we have a list of uh, to-dos that they we need them to do. And we also are part of that process in a more of a done with you type of fashion, providing different resources. If there's things that we've done and seen with other clients, we bring that to the table and all of that. And then we start typically like a quarterly rhythm on reevaluating those things in different strategy days and things like that. So that's our the the main way that we've helped most of our clients, although we are getting into the more traditional like one-on-one coaching space that's a little bit more like, hey, you know, let me know what's happened this week. Here's some suggestions. Here's uh, some resources for you to be able to move on with that. So that's the main way that we're delivering to clients. And we're looking at ways, of course, that we can scale into more group models as well in the future. Yeah. When you look at some of these companies out there in the service sector, like, are there sort of archetype paths that you you find? Like, if you're kind of an agency, you should go down this route. Or if you're, you know, a salon, a, a location-based sort of service, kind of like a salon, something like that, you should go down this route. Like, how patterned do you see some of these growth strategies versus how much it really kind of depends on the underlying kind of business and the people involved? Yeah, I'd say that there's definitely a lot of nuance to it. I'll, I'll kind of give you like an example with the market marketing side of of what we do. So uh, the three buckets that I typically focus on is short-term, mid-term, and long-term approaches. The short-term is a grassroots marketing approach where, you know, especially if you are in the up to about 3 million, if you're anything below 3 million, you really need to be expanding your network consistently. Now, of course, the difference between a multiple six-figure company that's going to networking meetings and getting on podcasts versus the $3 million company that's trying to find new affiliates and business partnerships, that part is definitely different. But the overall idea of grassroots marketing and rubbing shoulders and talking to people one-on-one, that doesn't really change. But once you get past that, then you're really going to be focusing a lot on the midterm and long 
long-term strategies like brand building, content development, being seen as an authority in your space, and also seeing how advertising and paid marketing channels can also assist there. So I think it's mostly around the phase of business that you're in and what strategies we try to implement over there. When it comes to the growth systems and IP, I have yet to meet a company that has their frameworks fully dialed in. Even if they're a very rigid SOP driven company, they usually just they, they have it not very well organized in, from what I've seen. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's almost a default every time that we go in with a company. I've seen this with a $150,000 company. I've seen this with a $3 million company where we go in and we look at their how they define their intellectual property, how they define their frameworks and processes. And we usually have we're usually starting in the same place in that six-figure company or that multiple seven-figure company even. So that's one that I think is relatively typical across the board. Yeah. You know, you're you're talking about SOPs and things. I'm wondering, uh, any technologies that you have found be sort of pretty universally applicable? Because I I know, you know, a lot of folks are, you know, they get to the point where they, you know, they've got their uh, contacts in a spreadsheet or their process is in a Word document or something. Like, what are some of the kind of technical things that you end up kind of focusing on or recommending to folks? And is there any kind of go-tos that you'd recommend people look at? Yeah, for sure. That's that's definitely a, a common issue. <laughs> I can't tell you how many really <laughs> ugly spreadsheets I've seen over the years. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so sometimes it's like sometimes we just start like, okay, let's at least make this prettier. Let, let's do that. Let's make this more organized. But after that, yeah, we definitely want to get them into something that's more like a Asana or Monday.com for project management. And then when it comes to organizing where things live, you know, one that I've recently been exposed to that I had good amount of traction with one client is Guru, which is for documenting processes. The one that my old company used to use was Process.io. It's all right. There's certain elements that I don't like as much, but I think it's it, it works for what it is. And honestly, like for like my multiple six-figure businesses, if you use something like Evernote, that's leagues better than just using a, a Google document or a Word document. So even if I can yeah. just get them on something like that, uh, that's definitely a win. Yeah. And in terms of, you know, kind of the underlying kind of other systems they really need to improve. I mean, I, what are the things that you find kind of need to be revamped? I mean, I, I'm thinking of things like finances and, you know, how you do your forecasting or even just how you kind of track expenses so you can kind of understand really what your pricing and cost basis is for things. I mean, are there other things that you typically kind of have to go back in and, and retool or re-engineer in companies? Yeah, for sure. So I'll give you two examples. So one, we had a client that was really wanting to dial in their their marketing and the, the steps to go from awareness to customer. And what we realized is that this person was completely relying on their intuition of thinking how many <laughs> clients got in the door, essentially like, oh, well, I think we had about five or six people come in the door today. So I think we're doing pretty good. And I see on Google Analytics that we got 100 visitors in the past week. So we must be converting at this. And so we essentially build out a whole reporting dashboard for them for each step of the marketing process from awareness, from website visits to lead magnets to to consultations to actual buyers and that has like even it's funny like this happens a lot in the health space you know i used to be a personal trainer about seven or eight years ago and the the mantra that just tracking what you do 
makes changes is real because <laughs> even when you start tracking your conversions and things like that, like just the tracking of it, you will see changes because you'll be aware of what is really happening. So on the marketing side, absolutely. We need to make sure that we're building out these processes and ways to report on this data because a lot of companies that are very successful, they're not getting accurate reporting because they're just a lot of entrepreneurs out there are very intuitive. And, you know, a lot of their times their intuition is correct, but it's usually a lot better if you can track that intuition versus just being <laughs> going from the gut all the time and yeah. shooting from the hip. The other example is in the customer experience area. My former official title uh, from my previous company was the director of customer experience. And the thing that I see a lot of times is that people have documented processes for how to react to a customer situation and not how to be proactive around it. So, you know, I, I remember looking at some SOPs where it's like, okay, if the customer is unhappy about the service, here's the things to do to deescalate the situation. And I looked at that and I said, okay, well, what's the proactive process yeah, exactly. for you to... How, how do we just prevent them from getting unhappy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How do you prevent it? And even in the event that you make a mistake, how about you own up to the mistake first? Because yeah. that will that will deescalate the situation completely. Because if you're owning it and you're already providing a solution to the customer, then you're usually going to take care of at least 80% of escalation issues in the customer service area. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, let's talk about about marketing because you mentioned it a couple of times, and I'm curious. I think you you had a comment that you know most people rely on word of mouth too much um, or for too long, and then it really becomes a bottleneck. I mean, what are the other strategies, particularly for for service companies that that you're you know investigating or you suggest that they look on or, or you know that they should consider when trying to figure out how to take the business to the next level? Yeah. So I think the first level, especially if they're a word of mouth based company already, is to be proactive about it. Most companies are reactive with their word of mouth. They're just expecting their customers to recommend them. Uh, they're just expecting Google to continue to provide them uh, a good results when it comes to their Google business listing. But mm -hmm. if they add some proactive elements to it, having a referral program, having a rewards or loyalty program put in, those kind of things can really amp that up. And then the next step that I would have them do is to start putting out regular content to an email list. Start if you aren't capturing your customer's data, which, uh, you know, most of the time I don't see it that bad where they don't even have their customer's data. I've seen a few of those, but most of the time they have some way to communicate to customers. So my next step with them is to regularly communicate value to those customers with whatever that that service provides. So, you know, in the instance of that hair salon I mentioned earlier, it's a, it's different hair tips to, you know, keep your hair extensions from uh, going bad or something like that. So mm -hmm. having that top of mind marketing is really something that I think is underutilized, especially in a lot of service-based industries. And they don't realize that they don't even have to get into paid advertising to be top of mind if they already have an established database. And if you pair that with a good referral program and some regular promotions that happen, you know, I would say once a month to a couple times a quarter, you'll start to see those results come in, especially, of course, if you have metrics in place to track that progress. Uh, that would be the first thing that I would do if you're just relying on word of mouth. Yeah. Would, if someone is you know, on the fence or thinking about scaling the business, they're not sure exactly how, they're not sure if they should. What are some of the questions they can be asking themselves to kind of, you know, figure out if it's something they really should proceed with, what they need to kind of be aware of, assess how much work it might be, like help someone kind of diagnose themselves? Yeah, I think the, the first question that I usually ask is, where do you want to be in five years? 
do you want to be, you know, moderately more successful? Do you feel like you just want to be in the same place? Or do you want to grow? And there's two places that I would focus on the growth. For some people, it's all about the revenues. And, you know, for most business owners, I feel that that's a lot of it. But, you know, with some business owners, it's actually about getting back the time. And so the growth isn't so much around the growth in their revenue. It's more about the the growth of getting their time back because a lot of service-based businesses, it doesn't matter what level of growth they're in, a lot of these owners and CEOs, they're they're working overtime most of the time. You know, they uh, we got out of a nine to five so that we could start working 24 seven. And the more that we can help them not do that and get some of their time back, I think that's one of the biggest pulls on scaling your business because the more you can get your business scaled to a certain level, because it's not just about the revenues, it's about having the peoples and processes and systems to make it make the business work for you versus you working for the business. Yeah. Joe, that's been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about High Ticket Labs, what's the best way to get that information? Yeah, so you can go to highticketlabs.com. And I have uh, also have a RevScale diagnostic assessment that people can take if they go there. And this is a, a two-step assessment that we've proprietarily worked on that really helps people get a diagnostic on whether they're ready to scale, if, you know, what areas they need to be scaling in. Uh, so if you want to check that out, once again, it's highticketlabs.com. That'd be great. I'll make sure that the link is in the show notes. Encourage people to go check it out. Judd, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thanks so much, Bruce. I appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.